0: Welcome to the Church in the Graveyard podcast. On one hand, the book of Jonah is a roller coaster ride with giant fish and famous cities. On the other hand, beneath the surface, Jonah reminds us of the surprising grace of God in the face of judgment. Jonah draws our eyes to Jesus. For more information and audio content, please visit us at neac.com.au. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Justin, I'll be doing our first Bible reading which comes from Luke chapter 11 verses 29 to 36 Um, and that's page 1030 on the Pew Bibles from verse 29, as the crowds increased Jesus said, this is a wicked generation, it asks for a miraculous sign but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned for the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp but puts it in a place where it will be hidden, or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand, so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light from within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, you will be completely
1: lightened as when the light of a lamp shines on you. My my name's Phil. Uh, the second Bible reading tonight is Jonah chapter 1. It's on page 916 of the Red Pew Bibles. It's Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, on page 916. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up for me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to, f- to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God!'
2: Good evening, everyone. Great to be with you. As we come to this uh, passage tonight, let's consider God's word and pray together and uh, invite you to see this wonderful book. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for uh, the great way in which you speak to us through your word. And we pray tonight that as we come together, you would continue to help us understand what it means and, more importantly, apply it to our lives uh, so that we might live in the way that you've called us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know whether what your earliest memories of Jonah are. Perhaps you've never heard Jonah before. Perhaps this is the first time you've heard it. Or perhaps you're like me and you've heard Jonah for a very long, long time. I actually have some very fond memories of hearing the story of Jonah for the first time. Uh, Our family used to go away to this little island off the coast of Malaysia for holidays, and uh, we used to fall asleep at night with the waves crashing outside and the palm leaves um, making noises in the wind. It was just a beautiful, beautiful place. But my parents also had a record, and they put it on the record player, and there was this deep American voice, that told the story of Jonah. And every night as we fell to sleep, we heard this amazing story of Jonah and we heard about the storm and the big fish and it was just marvelous to fall off to sleep listening to the story of Jonah and and just how God used him and actually how weird it was uh, that he did all that he did. I don't know what your experience of Jonah is, but Jonah is much, much more than a kid's book. Much, much more than a kid's story. And I'm really looking forward to this series on Jonah over the next four weeks because we will unfold a whole lot of things about Jonah. And it's amazing, God's surprising grace uh, throughout Jonah. So come with me as we look at the book of Jonah and particularly chapter 1 this evening. Let's begin at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now this is not the first time that the word of Lord has come to Jonah. Uh, You might be familiar with the passage back in 2 Kings, chapter 14, Jonah has spoken to King Jeroboam. Now King Jeroboam was a pretty terrible king actually. But God had used Jonah to speak to him. And Jonah had said, you need to secure your boundaries here. And you need to set up boundaries here, otherwise you will be attacked. And strangely enough, the king did what he said. Normally, the kings would actually ignore the prophets. But for some reason, Jonah's word was so powerful from the Lord that the king actually believed him and did what he said. So when we come to Jonah here, he's already received the word of the Lord before. This is another time he receives the word of the Lord. We think this is all taking place around 636 to 646 BC, around that time. But listen to what the word of the Lord says to him. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its, its wickedness has come up before me. Now, this is unusual. Normally... Prophets, when they're given a word from the Lord, preach against other nations, but they do it from their own place. They do it from Judah or Israel. They do it, if you like, from the the comfort of their own home. But here, Jonah is being asked to go beyond his borders. He's actually not only being asked to go beyond his borders, he's being asked to go to the enemy, to the enemy's city. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the dominant force of the day. People were terrified of Nineveh. And so, Jonah is asked to go to Nineveh. He's asked to go to Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness. Well, what does Jonah do? Verse 3 but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. Jonah immediately runs from God's call. God says, I want you to go there. He says, no, I'm running. I'm going the opposite direction. It's a bit like him saying, what God's saying to him, I want you to go to Perth. And and Jonah says, no, no, I'm going to New York. I'm I'm going the opposite direction. I have no interest in going where you want me to go. Now, I actually have some empathy with Jonah at this point because who wants to go to a city of the dominant force where you could be destroyed? I mean, imagine someone asked you to go from here in Newtown to the outer suburbs of Brisbane. Brisbane. You, you might not want to do it. Or, actually, even worse, from the suburb of Newtown to Canberra. Oh, sorry for to all the people from Canberra. Now, actually, it's, it's even worse than that. It's about God calling Jonah to go to somewhere like Baghdad or Kabul or Cairo. It's about asking Jonah to go somewhere like Damascus or Tehran. Jonah is going asked to go to an absolutely impossible place. And I get why he runs. I get that he runs. That makes sense to me. God's called him to do a very, very hard thing. And he says, I can't do it. I've got to run. And so he does. He runs. I wonder, though, about the lengths he goes to running. Notice what happens. So Jonah Jonah runs away from the Lord and heads heads to Tarshish. Then he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for a port. And after paying that fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, just in terms of what that would have taken him, he would have had to go from his hometown, which is somewhere near Nazareth, walked two or three days down to the seaport, then he would have had to pay money to go there, and then he had to go the distance away from God. He was very, very committed to getting away from God. Not just a little bit, hugely committed to getting away from God, getting away from God's call. I wonder, in our own lives... Do we have moments where we want to get away from God's call? Do we run from God's call on our own lives? Perhaps we haven't experienced it quite like Jonah, but maybe there are moments where we would like to run the other direction, where we choose choose patterns of work or study which move us away from where God wants us, where we pursue relationships perhaps, that mean that we run away from God's call. Where God has laid on your heart a particular ministry, a particular people, a particular nation, a particular person. And you've said, actually, God, I don't want to listen to your call. I actually want to go the other direction. I'm going to do something better. I'm going to do something with my own life that I want to do. You see, we might laugh at Jonah and might think it's extreme what he does, but the truth is, we we can join in that. We too can to run. We can run away from God's call. Think for a moment. Are you running from God's call? There's another aspect to this running from God's call. Jonah kind of takes it one step further and it appears like he's not only running from God's call but he's also running from God. Now, in many senses, his run from God is very futile. It's ridiculous. God is everywhere. God sees everything. It'd be like the Blues trying to win the origin or Australia trying to win a test match. I mean, it just seems futile, and yet he pursues it. He decides to do it, and you see it all the way through Jonah 1. Jonah 3, Jonah runs away from the Lord and heads for Tarshish. Hear that? not only runs away from his call, he's running from the Lord. Verse 9, we see Jonah, once he's on the ship, down the bottom of the ship, asleep. And there's many ways to interpret that and to think about that. But I think he's actually running away from the Lord. He's running away from everybody. He's put himself to sleep. He doesn't want to know about anything. He doesn't want to know about what's taking place outside, or what's happening around him. He's ignoring it all. He's saying, I'm going to run away from you, God. I'm going to put myself to sleep. And then as the story unfolds and the sea gets worse and the sailors finally decide to throw him overboard, he's thrown overboard at his suggestion. Now, maybe he had some good motives there. Maybe he had some good thoughts there. But I actually think, he thought, actually, just throw me overboard. Get rid of me. I'd prepare to die. That way I can get away from God. That way I can get God out of my hair. Then he's gone. I can get away from the presence of God. Now, in many senses, this desire of Jonah to ignore God's call and to get away from God's presence is really, really odd. You see there in verse 14... He says to the sailors, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of heaven. He identifies himself as someone who worships the Lord. So why is he trying to get away from him? In chapter 2, as we unfold that over the coming weeks, we'll see that he prays this most amazing prayer. A prayer that's full of the Psalms and the Scriptures. He's a man of knowledge and understanding. Indeed, as the whole book unfolds. He has outstanding success in his preaching. He's used mightily by God. It is very weird that this man would run away from the call of God and run away from God himself. Why does he run from God? Well, actually, it tells us at the end of the book, and you'll have to be here for the four weeks to work that out. So come, keep coming each week and we'll explore why it is that Jonah continues to run from the call and the presence of God. But I think it's also true that we can identify with Jonah at this point as well. We too can convince ourselves that we can run from the presence of God. We too can somehow conjure up in our own minds this idea that, well, I can get away from God. God won't know that I'm here. God won't see what I'm doing. Perhaps it's in the sites that we visit on on the internet. Perhaps it's to do with our own ambitions and we think we've hidden them well and we think somehow that, that God won't see what our ambitions are. Perhaps it's to do with our relationships and our hatreds and our grudges and our failure to repent or to forgive. And we think somehow that, that God won't see and we pretend and we hide and we, 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 we say, well, God, you, you can't have anything to do with this. You can't see this. Well, it's not true, is it? God sees all. He sees you even in your secret places. Where no one else sees you. He knows what is going on. And he sees what's going on in Jonah's life. Now those are two very challenging thoughts, aren't they? They strike us deep in our hearts. So what do we do? Where do we go? Well, the question we haven't asked of this passage is what is God doing? What is God doing all this time? Come with me as we consider what God does. And what we'll discover is God's surprising grace. God's wonderful grace. God's wonderful gift of undeserved love towards us. It starts with the very first words of the book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Just think about that for a moment. This is God breaking into history. God with his word speaking. He wants to see a change. He wants to see people repent and turn to him. And so he gives his word. And he gives his word to Jonah. Jonah, someone who represents the whole of the people of Israel. Someone who is called to himself. Someone who is acted in grace to give a job to do. Right there, God is acting in grace. And then as the story unfolds, as Jonah starts to run, he runs into a storm. Now, it's not so evident here in our English version, but in the original it suggests that the storm was actually prepared before Jonah got on the boat, before Jonah started to sail away. The point, of course, is that God knew that Jonah was going to run and he sent the storm on purpose because he wanted To show Jonah his grace. How does that work? Well, it reminds me of that wonderful passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that goes like this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son or daughter is not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons and daughters see, what's happening here with Jonah in the storm is God is disciplining him. He's saying, come back. You've gone the wrong way. I'm calling you to myself. At that point, Jonah has every chance to turn around and say, God, forgive me. I have run away from your call. Please have mercy. Have grace. Show me your grace. But instead, something else happens so surprising and so outstanding that that even today we kind of wonder at God's grace. And that is, first of all, he organizes the lots that are thrown so that Jonah gets picked. So Jonah has to fess up. Jonah has to say what's going on. He has to point to the Lord God. And what happens as a result? Well, these poor sailors decide that they are trying to take things into their own hands. They decide to start rowing in the midst of the storm. There's no way they were going to make any ground whatsoever. Finally, they relent, and at Jonah's command, they throw him over the side of the boat. But look at what happens as they throw him over the side of the boat. They offer a sacrifice. See there in verse 21. They took Jonah and threw him overboard into the raging sea and it grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared God and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. God in his graciousness not only reaches out to Jonah and disciplines him. He also reaches out to the men on the boat who are so fearful. And he says, come to me. And the men turn and repent and trust. And then, of course, there is that wonderful provision as Jonah is thrown over the edge. He gets swallowed by a big fish. At every point in this first chapter, God is being gracious towards those. Both to those who love him, like Jonah, but also to those who are enemies of his, those who have refused to love him. And over and over again, God reaches out to them and calls them to himself. No doubt you will realize that in many ways, this foreshadows a greater event, a second Jonah. You heard it referred to uh, in, in the passage that we read from Matthew a little bit earlier on in which God, with Jesus, is seen as the sign of Jonah. As, for as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will be the Son of Man to this generation. You see, Jesus is like a second Jonah. But he comes, and he comes not to escape God's call, but to obey it. And he comes and he preaches judgment, and repentance. He comes not to hide from God, not to hide from God's presence, but in order to bring us into God's presence. And ultimately, because of his desire to bring us into that presence, we see the most surprising grace of all, Jesus' death on a cross for us. You see, God so cares about the fact that you are running away from him. So cares about the fact that you are ignoring his call. That he sent his son to die for you. And he's saying, come back, come back, follow me. Let me fill you with my grace. I'm so committed to loving you that I'm willing to send my son to die on the cross. Come back, come back, come back to me. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your surprising grace. And we pray that it might sink deep within our hearts. And Father, where we have run, where we have run from you and from your call, We ask that you would forgive us, that you would change us and you would make us to be more like Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name.